Okay, let's study God's Word together. Grab a cup of coffee. Your Bible always encourage you to, uh, to, to get a hold of your Bible there and, um, it, or your device with your Bible on it um, and, 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 to, and to open the Word of God together as we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 through 17 today. I want to talk to you about this idea. Keep going. Keep going. Listen, um, nobody wants to be a quitter, right? We, we, we don't aspire to that. We don't aspire to quit things, but we've all quit, right? We've all quit maybe a diet or a uh, exercise regimen or some sort of discipline. But, you know, one of the big messages of Hebrews that we've talked about, kind of a big theme here, is do not quit the Christian faith. And genuine believers will not quit the Christian faith. God, uh, in, in God, God enables us to persevere by His grace. And, but he, he's, He tells us throughout the book of Hebrews, hey, there's nowhere else to go. There's no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. And, and, but there are people uh, that were thinking about turning back. Uh, there were people who had professed faith in Christ who were thinking, maybe I'll just go back to, being, uh, go back to Judaism, go back to the old covenant, because uh, they were being persecuted, and they were, they were having second thoughts about following Christ. And he goes, there, there's no turning back. Don't reject Christ now. And genuine believers will continue on with Christ. And God calls us to endurance in the Christian life. We are to complete the course, to run through the finish line. And that is only possible by God's grace because apart from God's grace, we're all quitters, right? We'd all give up. But by God's grace, we will finish the race that we have started uh, in, uh, through faith in Christ. God continues uh, to allow us by His grace to persevere. And God calls us, though, to an active endurance, an active endurance. He calls us to pursue faithfulness. And all by His grace, all by His strength, but, 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 by His strength, but we are to be active in the Christian life, active in our Christian faith, not passive. God, he, he, can, he calls us to persevere, but at the same time, He empowers the perseverance. It's one of the, the great teachings of uh, the Christian life. And so there are some in this community of faith addressed in Hebrews who are considering walking it back. And He's saying, no, 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 no. And that big theme keeps coming back. And here in chapter 12, He's going to encourage us to stay the course. He teaches them that true saving faith is enduring and persevering faith. And here in chapter 12, he's calling them to that enduring, that persevering faith. And he uses some key illustrations as he encourages their endurance. He's encouraging them, keep going, keep going, keep going. By God's grace, you can and will keep going, keep going, keep going. Now in chapter 11, as we saw for a couple of weeks, he recounted many examples of faith-filled believers from the Old Testament and challenges uh, them to live by faith like those people did. And then in chapter 12, uh, in light of, the, of that hall of faith, he challenges them and he challenges us uh, to, to live lives of enduring faith, to remain faithful, to continue in faith in the midst of adversity, in the midst of challenges, and in the midst of difficulty. So look with me. We're going to walk through the text together, and uh, then we'll get into some application today. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So here he illustrates that the life of faith is as a race. It's a reminder that the Christian life is, by the way, a marathon and not simply a sprint. Marathons are long and grueling and at times painful. But here he challenges us to run with endurance, to get serious about the race, laying aside the encumberments, sin, and running with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Look at verse 3. Consider him, talking about Jesus, he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So there he he gives the call to endure with a parenting illustration. We've had an illustration of a race and now of parenting. And he says God disciplines his children, just like earthly parents discipline uh, children, but he does it perfectly and in love. God's discipline is perfect, it's always wise, and it's always loving. Pick up in verse 12. He comes back to the race illustration. He says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So here, he returns to the first illustration of the race, and and he talks about being uh, uh, weak and weary and tired, right? When we're weak, weary, and tired, he's saying you need to keep running. (laughs) Keep running with endurance uh, to correct what needs to be corrected so that we experience spiritual healing and not demise, right? He gives that picture of exhaustion there with the drooping hands and the weak knees. Now, verse 12 is a reference from Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 8. It's a call to faithfulness and hoping in God in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of painful circumstances. And in verse 13 of chapter 12, he says, Make straight paths for your feet. And that's a reference from Proverbs 4.26. He's calling us to clear the way to remove things that would trip us up as we pursue to faithfully follow Christ and to continue in faith. In the last few verses, he gets very practical. It calls us to pursue peace, calls us to pursue holiness, calls for striving for peace for all, uh, with all, and pursuing that holiness without which no one will see the Lord, avoiding the root of bitterness, he says. He wants the community of faith to, to look out for one another so no one trips up. He calls for sexual purity and holiness because, uh, because God, God demands holiness in our lives. He then illustrates with Esau. Now, Esau was the son of Isaac, the, the brother of Jacob. He was the oldest, but he, he sold his birthright. If you go back and read about it, he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew when he was hungry. And later, he wanted the blessing of the firstborn, but he missed out. 
His point here is not that he sought to repent with tears, but that he sought the blessing with tears, but he didn't ever repent. He never really repented, and you can be sorrowful and not repentant, by the way, right? So you can be sad of the mess you've made of your life, but not be remorseful of offending God and have a willingness and a a desire to genuinely change and turn to God and, and to be right with God. And he uses the Esau illustration to make the point of the danger of falling away, that danger that he's talked about over and over again. As George Guthrie writes, quote, the author of Hebrews wishes to drive home the point that only tears and rejection await those who sell out the inheritance that God promises to his children. Keep the faith. Keep on, he's encouraging us. Remember, our faithfulness is a result of God's faithfulness. We, we only hold on to God because he holds on to us. And at the same time, God does call us to active faith, to active endurance, to active faithfulness. He calls us to pursue, to run the race with endurance. So in this text, we can see some keys for cultivating faithfulness in our lives in difficult seasons. Because difficult seasons will come. Uh, Times where you may grow weary will will come. And so he encourages in these difficult seasons, what what are some things we can do to cultivate faithfulness in our lives? Well, number one, number one, we can be inspired by the faithfulness of others. Back in verse 1, he tells us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What an image that is. Now, who is that great cloud of witnesses? Well, it's those listed in chapter 11, right? Therefore, since. He's building off chapter 11. Now, are they watching from heaven? Well, I don't think that's the point. Some people think that. I don't don't think that's the point. The point is that they have lived faithfully, and we can look at their faith-filled lives and be encouraged and inspired to press on in the faith. The word witness there carries the idea of that they are bearing witness to us. They have laid out the example of a faith-filled life and their lives bear witness to the idea um, that by God's grace it can be done (laughs) you you can live by faith I remember years ago uh, back in North Alabama there was a particular high school that when you walked into their gymnasium they had these large murals on the walls of great players that had played there. And they had, they had turned out some just incredible athletes who had went on to, to play collegiate sports and probably some in the uh, NFL and things like that. And, and they had these murals on the wall of these athletes. And so if you showed up there to, for a basketball game, you saw that and it was like this small gym, right? And uh, this uh, historic kind of small school. And it was kind of, you know, intimidating. You're like, is the next one of these guys on the, on the other team, right? It, it was there um, to in, inspire their people to live up to the standard, right? And maybe to intimidate uh, the uh, other team. Now, some people look at Hebrews 11 and get intimidated, right? He doesn't mean us to be intimidated. He means us to be inspired, right? He don't want us to read Hebrews 11 and go, well, I can never live a life of faith. I'm not Abraham. No, it's meant to inspire you that when time gets, times get hard, we can realize that others have been faithful in hard times too. That God was faithful to them, that God kept them, that God uh, equipped them and God will equip us and God will strengthen us as well. All the faithful believers we know and have known and have read about should encourage and inspire us to live faithfully. Be inspired by the faithfulness of others. Number two, remove sin and pursue godliness in your life, in our lives. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So he uses this illustration of a race 
to talk about the Christian life of faith. And the goal is that we run with endurance, he says. And he says, now, to do that, there's some things we need to, to lay aside. <laughs> we need to lay aside things that would encumber that weight, he says, and, and the sin that clings so closely. Now, in the context of a physical race, this could speak of extra body weight, uh, um, right? Yeah, it, it could speak of a runner wanting to, to get physically in shape. He could speak to garments being cast off that would, that would, be, that would be too heavy. Uh, you, you know, in every sport, you need the appropriate attire, right? Uh, if you go out and play around a golf, you don't, you don't put on a helmet and pads uh, to go play golf, um, right? You, you have the, the appropriate um, attire um, um, for um, the sport that you're playing. And runners wear very little, right? They wear extremely light clothing. They don't want anything hindering them. They don't, they don't run in long pants and long sleeves, right? You don't, you don't see that. They're in shorts and, and, and usually in, in, a, in, a, in a shirt without sleeves. And, and that's, that's how they run. The, the point is they don't want anything hindering them. That We need to take our race seriously, take our faith seriously, says. And part of that is getting things out of your life that hinder your walk with Christ, in particular, sin that would trip you up and that ultimately dishonors Christ. Our purpose is to run with endurance, to faithfully follow Christ all our days. So we don't need anything that will weigh that down. We need to cast off the weights, cast off the sin that clings so closely. There's, there's nothing more exhausting than trying to run around with extra weight that you don't need to carry, right? Uh, that person that you refuse to forgive or that attitude that you refuse to forsake, that sinful habit you, re- you refuse to address and deal with, that sinful behavior you f- f- refuse to cast off will spiritually exhaust you. It will spiritually exhaust you and wear you down. It will weary you. You need to cast it off and run the race. He comes back to the illustration of the race later, right? Down in chapter... Um, ch- Chapter 12, but verse 12, he says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He paints a picture of that weary, tired runner with the hands drooping and the knees weak. And that's Old Testament references, as I mentioned, and he's encouraging us to get things corrected, to remove things from our path that would trip us up so that what is lame may be healed and not be put out of joint. In other words, further damage to tend to our spiritual health so that we won't become even more spiritually unhealthy. If we don't deal with sin, if we don't deal with the hindrances and the things that trip us up, if we don't remove these things from our path, it's to our own spiritual detriment. In verse 14, he gets very practical. He says to pursue some things, right? Strive for peace, strive for holiness. That, that word strive means to pursue, to do with effort, to press forward. It is a call to action. Not passiveness, but activeness. Believers are to be peacemakers, right? Blessed are the peacemaker, peacemakers, Jesus said, for they shall be called sons of God. We're supposed to be holy. He says, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He seems like he may be referencing the Sermon on the Mount here, right? There's some similarities here. Striving for peace, pursuing holiness, things that uh, the believers are supposed to do. As those who are in Christ, we have been made holy in God's sight, and we are to now live in light of that by practicing holiness in our life. And we, we have peace with God, so we should be trying to live at peace with other people. We should be peacemakers. In verse 15, he wants us to see that no one, he, want, he says, I want no one, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. I love what F.F. F. Bruce writes about this. He says, if it is the grace of God that sets people's feet at the entrance of the pathway of faith, then it is equally, it is equally the grace of God that enables them to continue and complete that pathway. And isn't that the truth? By God's grace, we start the race 
by God's grace, we finish the race. We can, by our lives, prove ourselves to have never actually been gripped by that grace, though. Those that experience grace will want to pursue holiness. Those that enter the race by grace will finish the race by grace. We must be careful, as he warns us, to guard against that root of bitterness, he calls it, caused by sin that would defile many. Because sin is deadly, dangerous, poisonous, and it is to be treated as such. We must deal with it. He warns against sins like sexual immorality, specifically calls that one out, and unholiness, he says, because these things are are spiritual detriments to us. They offend God, and God has called us to, to, to walk with him in holiness before him we need to be serious about dealing with the sin in our lives to repent of it to cast it off and and to get right if we have sin in our life we need to repent of it and begin to pursue christ and live in 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 light of his revealed will for us sin's not a small thing it's deadly and it's a weight that can drag us down it's a barrier in our path to faithful living it is a bitter root that will defile many so if you want to remain faithful in difficult seasons hey remove your sin in your life and pursue godliness We must tend to our spiritual health. We must make sure what is lame is not put out of joint. As John Owen, the the Puritan, said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Now, number three. Number three, focus on Jesus and his example. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to there means to fix your eyes. It's the idea of not have it's not having your attention diverted, to not be distracted, to look intently with total focus at someone or something. And it's Jesus that we're running to. It's it's Jesus that we're running for. It's Jesus we're running with. It's Jesus that strengthens us to run. Jesus is the example that we follow. So we are to look to Jesus. You know, Christmas is a great season to remind us to focus our spiritual eyes, our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be that way year-round, not just at Christmas and Easter. But it's a good reminder on the calendar us to, for us to, to focus our hearts and our minds and our lives on, on Christ. You know, eyes are huge in running. Um, you have to see where you're going. Uh, runners, when, when they're running a race, they, they have to look where they're going. They're not, they, you don't see runners looking at their feet, right? You don't see them constantly running behind them. They're they're looking out ahead. They're looking at the goal. They're looking where they're going. And we, in our race, we're to have our eyes fixed on Christ. He's our example. How How he handled adversity and suffering teaches us how to do the same. He... He calls him the founder and the perfecter of our faith. It means the a founder means originator, leader, initiator, pioneer, right? It's Jesus that our faith is in. He's the one we're trusting in. He's the perfecter of our faith. That's someone who brings things to completion. Jesus has done all that is necessary for us to be saved. Salvation's about Jesus. Jesus has done uh, what needs to be done. Jesus has done what needs to be done for our forgiveness and our reconciliation to God. It's him we look to. It's him we're trusting in. Who else would our eyes be on? ourselves others others will fail us right we will fail ourselves our eyes need to be on jesus set your gaze on jesus and he he has set the example for us for how to handle adversity he for the joy set before him he says he endured the cross the point is that jesus was able to look past the suffering to what the suffering would accomplish he endured the humiliation of the cross by looking at the exaltation that would follow. He is now seated in honor at God's right hand, as he says. He looked past the cross to the day when all would be gathered around him. All of his children, all of, all of those who put their faith in him would be gathered around his throne in celebration. 
So the writer says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It should inspire us, right, uh, to, to not grow weary, to not give up. So when trials and difficulties and pains and persecutions come, we remember what Jesus suffered for us and it reminds us that we have not suffered like Jesus suffered. None of us have. Like Jesus, we need to look past the suffering and need to realize that ultimately God uses all things for our good. That one day we will be with God and not a tear will have been wasted in making us like Christ. In verse 4 he says, he reminds them in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. They, they were being persecuted. People were sinning against them and persecuting them. And he, but it had not, it, it had not ex- escalated to the point of martyrdom. They weren't dying for their faith at this point. And he, he, so he's reminding them of that, giving them perspective. Giving them perspective. Sometimes we need perspective in our trials. When times get difficult, difficult, it's tempting to get distracted. To lose our gaze. To, to move our eyes. We need our gaze set on Jesus. We need to remember that our salvation is secure in Him because of what He's done and what He's accomplished. And we need to follow His example. Keep our eyes on Him. And know that just as God used Jesus' suffering for good, He's going to use our suffering for good too. No, ours is not salvific. Ours doesn't save us. Jesus, Jesus is the one that saves. But God has promised that for those who love him to use all things will work together for our good, for his glory, as he makes us more like Jesus. Finally, number four, we need to remember the Father's discipline is for our good. Back down in verse five and six, he says, you have, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. See, he uses this illustration from parenting, starting in verse 5 down through verse 11. And, you know, parents discipline children, or should, for the good of the children. He's not talking about abuse here. He's talking about loving, uh, genuine discipline for the good of the child. And he reminds us Christ followers are God's children. He quotes from Proverbs, reminding us we're not to regard lightly or to grow weary. We shouldn't spurn or or grow tired when, when we're reproved by God. We need to remember God's word teaches that God is our father. And that he disciplines his children for our own good because he loves us. We tend to think of discipline as just punishment, right? We have very negative views of discipline sometimes in our culture. However, discipline comes in at least three forms, right? There's corrective discipline. Uh, That's when someone does something wrong and you're trying to correct the behavior. We do that with our children, right? There's preventive discipline. You're trying to prevent certain things. So you put certain rules in place. You you try to help them establish certain habits because you're trying to prevent certain things. And we do that with children as well, right? Um, And then there's training. Right? There's, there's certain things that you just have to go, there's kind of training in life, right? And, um, and, and in the Christian life, that's kind of the, the trials we go through. The things we go through, uh, th- those can be training that God can use, that God can use to build our faith, to make us more like Christ. The point is not that all we go through in life is because we did something wrong and that God is correcting us. No, not all, not all discipline is corrective. The point is, even when we do nothing wrong, but we but we suffer that God will use even that to train us and to make us more like Jesus in the end, that God is at work in our lives even when we would have a tendency to think that we're forgotten, we're never forgotten, or that God's not at work, but he's always at work in the life of the believer. So he encourages us to remember God's discipline is for our good. He he points out some things like that God's motive in his discipline is love, right? The Lord disciplines the son whom he loves. He reminds us of our sonship. God is not an exhausted father being selfish with his time. No, he is a loving, perfect father that only disciplines in love. Difficult times in our lives do not mean God has rejected us. God is always treating us as sons and daughters. Discipline is a mark of sonship. It's a reminder we're in the family of God. 
We're not illegitimate children in Christ. And God's motive is love, but God's goal is our holiness, right? He reminds us of the earthly fathers and how they discipline and how we respect them. How much more should we be subject? How much more should we respect and honor our heavenly father? Because he says, he reminds us in verse 10 that while earthly fathers discipline as they seem best, God does so for our good. In other words, God, every discipline that we receive, everything in it, God uses for our good. Why? So that we may share in his holiness. God's goal is our holiness, that we would share in his holiness. God is working to make us like Jesus, to make us holy, to transform us into the image of Christ. And the result, the result will always be fruitful. Always be fruitful. In verse 11, he says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The, res- the result of fruitfulness. He's, he's being honest, right? This life is filled with painful moments, and times discipline, just, it just seems painful rather than pleasant. But the end result, he says, is fruitful. We, we don't need to recoil from God, right, when we go through difficult times. In all seasons, God is working to bring about the fruit of righteousness. We need to trust the process and trust God and examine our lives and, 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 and figure out how we can grow closer to God in every moment. Will we at time, can we, can we be disciplined by God when we stray? Oh, absolutely. And we should repent and we should, God's trying to draw us back to him. But also we go through just difficult seasons in life that God wants to use to, to train us in righteousness so that we grow and become more like Christ. God wants to use everything in our life to ultimately make us more like Jesus for our own good and for his glory. You know, if you can imagine someone just terrified of water, right, needing to learn to swim. And if you could give them a way to learn to swim without having to get in the water, they'd take it. But you can't learn to swim without being in the water. You got, you, got to get, you got to at least get in the water to learn to swim. And if there was a path to godliness that involved a life of just pain-free, no suffering, no hurt, everything's easy, then everybody would sign up for it. But there, that doesn't exist. That path doesn't exist. Life in a fallen world is filled with suffering, hurt, and at times pain. And there, there is no path to Christ's likeness that involves zero trials <laughs> or zero difficulty and zero discipline. But, but God does promise to use the path, to use the discipline, to use things for our good, for his glory. The Christian life requires endurance. We must keep going. He encourages us to keep going. And the good news is God gives us the grace to endure. We're saved by grace. And that doesn't end somewhere along the path. But God wants us to keep going and to continue in Christ. He calls us, though, to active faith, and we can cultivate faithfulness in our lives as we are inspired by the faithfulness of others, as we seek to remove sin and pursue godliness, as we focus on Jesus and his example, trusting in him as those who have trusted in Christ, and we remember God's discipline is always for our good. Let me ask you, have you entered the race? Uh, Are you God's child? To use the illustrations he uses? Um... Have you been brought into the family of God? That only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. Christmas is all about how God sent his son into the world to save sinners. Have you trusted Jesus who came into this world and lived a sinless life? The son of God lived a sinless life that you and I couldn't live. And then died on the cross for our sins. Paying our sin debt. Taking the wrath of God for us. Taking the judgment we deserve. And then rising from the dead. So that if we will turn away from our sin and embrace him, embrace Christ who lived a sinless life, died in our place and rose again. If we'll believe he's risen, died for us and rose again and trust him for our salvation. 
He'll save us. Have you turned from your sin and put your faith in Christ? Man, I encourage you to do that. Enter the race. (laughs) Come into the family of God by faith in Christ. And if you have believer, just be reminded today, God calls us to endure, and by his grace, we can and will endure. Let this Christmas season remind us to focus on the Lord Jesus this year, to set our gaze on him, and let's, by grace, keep growing, keep going and keep growing in our faith in Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the time in your word. We pray that it would be used uh, to, to help us in our walk with Christ. We pray for anyone who's watching who's never trusted Christ, that they would do so uh, today. And we pray for every believer to be built up in their faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to remind you that if you're watching today and you've got questions about following Christ or, or you, you're, you're, you, you, you've trusted Christ or you're making a decision to follow Christ, to put your faith and trust in him, you know, if you call up to the Lord, and whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord should be saved. If you call to him in faith, if you turn from your sin, put your faith and trust in him, he'll save you. And if you do that today, or if you've got questions about it or following Christ, would you let us know? We'd love to either celebrate with you or answer your questions. Uh, just email us at info at gonorthpark.com and we would love to connect with you about a walk with Christ.